welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Doing well? We are at the very back end of our series, The Redemptive Names of God. This is the last one. And, I, and I've saved this last one um, to the very end simply because it's a great one to finish on. And the whole purpose of this series has been about knowing God by name. And I trust that your prayer life and I trust that your attitude toward God and ultimately the attitude towards your problems have changed as a result of this particular series. Um, we've designed to give you a higher view of God. That's the purpose of this series, to take your eyes off your problem and focus your eyes on Him. From, very, uh, from the very onset of this series, we highlighted the fact that human beings have seven basic needs and that all of these seven basic needs are met in the one God. And we've been looking at the different names of Jehovah God, this one God. And for all those who are needy today, I want you to go back into our uh, archives on the website and, and uh, find these messages because all of those who are needy, God is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. That was week one. Week two, for those of you who are seeking purpose and meaning to life, we spoke about Jehovah Ra, the Lord, our shepherd, that leads us and guides us into our purpose and destiny. To the lonely, Pete spoke about Jehovah Shammah, that the Lord is there. The Lord is present. The Lord is there for you, no matter where you're at, no matter how low down you may be, no matter how high up you may be, no matter where you may be in the middle, God is a God who is there for you. For those that are um, afraid and restless, Jeff spoke a great word about Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. In this rat race, busy world in which we live, God is a God of peace. To those that are sick and are in need of healing, says spoke about Jehovah Ra means the Lord heals. And last week, we looked at the God who is the Lord, our righteousness, who restores dignity to you. That's what God came to do, to redeem your life. In other words, to give you back what was stolen from you. And what was stolen from humanity was our dignity. And Jesus gives us our dignity back. And today, the final one I want to look at is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner. I didn't say Nissan, Benno. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner. And so please feel free to follow on the screen or read in your own Bibles from Exodus chapter 17, starting at verse 8. It says, the Amalekites, everyone say Amalekites. They're like the Vegemites and the Mozzibites and all those guys. The dad joke. It's kind of, it's kind of, I heard that way back in the 80s, it's pathetic. Anyway, sorry about that. Maybe we can delete that from the tape, who knows, whatever. Um, Tape. Anyone knows what tapes are? Good. They're those things that got all pulled out and you had to get a pen and go. All right. Maybe whatever you've done with this recording, whatever you do to this recording, Benno, 
just get rid of all that. All right. Okay, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses Moses has ordered and Moses, Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses' hands were up, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. Got the picture? So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it and the people of Victory Church. Because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, for hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord and the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Many of you would have heard this story before, I'm sure. And there'll be many that have not. Let me just quickly recap. Firstly, we see this bunch of Amalekites. Okay, they pick a fight with God's people. Moses' response is this. Choose some men to go and fight. I believe God is looking for some men who will go and fight. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ in 2010, going into 2011, for for it to be effective, needs to be full of men and women who know what it is to fight. We live in a society where evil prevails and much of the evil prevails because good men are sitting around doing nothing. We need a men and a women that know how to fight. God says, stand up and fight. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, it says, fight the good fight of faith. It's not a war of words. It's a fight of faith. It's not not a fight that's just about, you know, I can't do it. it's It's not a whinge. It's a fight of faith. We need faith to fight God's fight. I want to say this, that I believe every one of us is born for a fight. These men that Moses asked Joshua to ask to fight were a bunch of whingers. They were messed up and they're a bunch of complainers. If you go back a few chapters, you will see that this bunch of men that stood and fought were actually fighting against Moses, not too earlier. Here's my point. If you're not fighting where the battle is, you'll end up fighting somebody else. These men that ended up standing in the battle zone, fighting on behalf of God, were men that were fighting against Moses, not too earlier before this. And I feel that when we're not involved in the fight that's at hand, we end up infighting. We end up fighting each other because we get bored. And so much of the discussion and so much of what goes on in church life could be stopped if we just got on with the job that God wants us to get on with. God says, choose some men to fight. 
Let's stand up against some of the laws that are being passed in the political realm. Let's use some of our fighting and our energy for that and not just talking about whether so-and-so's hair's too long or so-and-so's cleavage is showing or so-and-so's this or so-and-so's that. It gets really introspective and really boring and really pathetic. The church doesn't have a high, the world doesn't have a high view of the church. And I believe it's because we're not putting the battle where the battle really is. And so Moses said, choose some men to fight. I know they can fight. They've been fighting against me long enough. Now let's just direct that fighting into the right place. Because we are born for a battle. We are born to fight. And so they fight. And with God's help, Moses and God's people win a great battle. And Moses builds an altar to God. And he has this revelation and an epiphany of who God is. He builds this altar and he says, it's the Lord who is our banner. It was because the Lord is over us that we were able to win. Moses knew it wasn't just the ability of his men. Although they came into play, they had their part to play. But God knew, sorry, uh, Moses knew that there was supernatural divine help. It's while Moses' hands were held up to heaven that they were winning. And whenever his hands were held low, they were losing the battle. But it's only as his hands were held up, they went on to win the battle. And then God says this, I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek in verse 15. And I don't know about you, but that's great news. When you fought a great battle to here, I will completely blot them out. And you think, whew, no more battles. That's fantastic. That's the last time we have to do that. Woo-hoo. This is how many Christians live. Woo-hoo. But you've got to weigh up Scripture with Scripture. And I, this is what I've learned about a lot of Christians. They don't know the Scriptures. They know a Scripture. They have their favourite Scripture. And they hold on to that with all they've got. But you've got to weigh up Scripture with Scripture. And two verses later, the very same God that says, I will blot out the memory of Amalek, he says this, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Hang on, you just said you'd blot them out. Now you're saying we're going to have to fight them from generation to generation. And when you study church history and when you study the Old Testament, you will see that that's exactly what happened. The Amalekites attacked the Israelites again in Numbers 14. The Amalekites attacked King Saul in 1 Samuel 15. Again in 1 Samuel, we see the Amalekites attacking David. We see the Amalekites in 1 Chronicles chapter 4 attacking Hezekiah. We see even Esther had trouble with a particular Amalekite named Haman. And so these Amalekites keep popping their ugly head up. Here's my point. The point is there will always be opposition to the work of God. We may not directly be dealing with Amalekites today, but there is an Amalekite spirit, a demonic spirit that wants to hinder the work of God. And while the victory was won at the cross 2,000 years ago, there is an ongoing battle that you and I need to be a part of. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, it says, Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the mother-in-law. Some of you think your life would be so much better if it wasn't for the mother-in-law. 
Or if it wasn't for this person, or if it wasn't for that person, that's not the point. You'd still have troubles. Because our battle is against principalities and powers, against authorities and against rulers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly realms. Here's my point. The victory of the cross was complete and final, yet we still have to battle. And I believe that's what God was saying way back to Moses. I will blot them out, but you will still have to fight. Is this making sense or are you more confused? I will blot them out, but you'll still have to fight. So my question to you is this, who is your Amalekite? Or what is the battle that you're facing right now? Because every one of us has different battles at different times. Some of us may be in the season of our life and we have no battles, no complaints. We are just loving life and that's awesome. God bless you. But there are others here today I know that are in for the fight of their lives. And that doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. What is your battle today? For some, it could be a drug addiction. It could be a tobacco addiction. It could be a pornographic addiction. It could be bitterness, loneliness, cancer. It could be depression. It could be hopelessness. It could be bankruptcy. It could be injustice. My question to you is this, what are you up against? What impossibility are you facing today? And whatever it is, Jehovah Nissi, the Lord our banner, is our victory. He's over us, He's over you, He's over your circumstance, He's over your situation and He wants to intercede for you but we have to be a people of God like Moses that keep our hands up, our head up and intercede and pray and keep the focus where it needs to be. That's good. That's good. We need a revelation of the Lord, our banner. See, this story of Moses is a picture or a type. Let me quickly explain what a type is. All of the old covenant is a type of what God wanted to fulfill in Christ. And so when you look at the life of Moses, he was a type of Christ. Not that Moses went round with a messianic complex. He never thought of himself as a type of Christ. But it's only as you look back and you see the parallels between the life of Moses pointing to a Messiah that was to come. And so we look at the life of Moses. He said, I want you to fight and I'll go up on a hill with my wooden staff which is a picture of Jesus going up the, 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 the uh, Mount of the Golgotha with the cross on his back. We see a parallel in Moses interceding on behalf of God's people with his hands held to heaven. We know today that Jesus intercedes on behalf of his church. We see that Jesus, in, uh, Moses, sorry, in his weariness had to sit down and it's when he sat down, he invoked the great victory that was won that day. And we see of Jesus Christ that he is seated down at the right hand of the Father, interceding on behalf of the church. This is an incredible picture to us of what Jesus Christ has done. It's not just about us having to intercede. It's about one who intercedes for us. And Moses had a revelation 
This battle that was won had everything to do with a God who is over us. Our victory, our banner is God Himself. That's where our victory is. It's not through working harder. It's through focusing where we need the correct focus. And so what I want to do this morning, just quickly, is look at the significance of the banner. But God, for God to use the banner as an illustration, we've got to bring some understanding to what that means for us in our time and generation. And so what does the banner do? Well, firstly, the banner unites. Everyone say unites. The banner unites us. How many of you can think back to your school days? I know some of you are in school, so this is going to be very easy for you. But you would have a school day, a sports day at school. And invariably, there'd be four teams. And if there's one thing thing seems to be the same, it seems to be that the house colours stay the same. Green, red, yellow, blue. Green suck, always suck. Green are useless. Doesn't matter what school, what time, what year. Green suck. Green cannot win. I don't know what that is. When I was at primary school, we had all the names of our teams were the explorers. So we had Matthew, we had Flinders for Matthew Flinders, and and uh, we had Stuart, who was an explorer. Apparently, I can't remember who that was, but that was green. And we had Air and Barker, but the, the green Stuart couldn't win a thing. Flinders, who I was part of, yellow, they won everything. I went to high school. They were named after former principals. I got lumbered in the green team. Never won nothing. Green sucks. It's kind of like, it's, you're, fighting, you're fighting God. If you, it's just the way it is, okay? So if you're in green team, don't expect to win too much. I don't know what that is. But what I do remember about sports day is this that regardless of who you liked or didn't like on any given school day, on on that day you liked who was under your banner, who was in your team. Yeah? So even if you'd beaten a guy up the day before, if he was in your house, go Flinders. We're together. The banner unites. Let's go back to 9-11. Whole bunch of Americans complaining, whinging, fighting, stealing, stabbing, doing a whole heap of things. Two planes go into two buildings and a nation is united. Why? Under the banner, the star spangled banner. The stars and stripes united a nation. People that hated other people came together. Under one banner. A banner unites. As Christians, the banner who is Christ, Jehovah Nissi, he's our banner. He should unite us. Our thinking should be united. It's what draws us together. There are people, let's be honest, that you might be sitting next to that you would have normally punched in the head by now. It never ceases to amaze me who I become friends with because of this uniting that takes place in Christ. Some people at school I never, ever, ever would have given any time a day to have become friends of mine because of this unification that takes place in Christ. The banner unites. 
In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, it says, There is neither Greek nor Jew, Aussie nor Pom. South African, Kiwi, black, white, or yellow. I wasn't looking at you. Dark hair, red hair. Men, women, men. There's none of that, it says. For you're all one in Christ. How about if I said, Christian? They should always reserve the loudest cheer. Because the banner unites. Secondly, simple, huh? The banner identifies. It identifies what team you're on. Going back to my sports day illustration. And what I see of my kids, the same applies today. When we were back at school, you got in the, the, the house colours. The green people, they didn't wear much green because they didn't really like to be identified with the green team. But those of us that were in yellow, I mean, we, we spray your hair yellow, you put yellow head, you put yellow leg warmer, you put whatever it is, you, yellow. You, you, I, I'm with them. And you walk out with your banner and say, oh, I'm part of that team. It identifies who you are with, and whose side you're on. And when you was all decked out, there could be no mistaking. When I went to school and I was in all my yellow gear, people didn't sort of say, oh, what team are you on? I was loud and proud about the team that I was on. There was no mistaking as to what team I was on. The guys in Stuart, the green team, you never knew where they were because they had a bit of yellow, a bit of blue, a bit of red, anything but green, really. We need to be able to be identified by the banner that we're under. In other words, as Christians, by lifestyle, people should know what team we're on. See, some people sort of say, you know what, all this kind of Christian stuff and that. I just want to you know, live like the world to be able to relate to them. No, no, no. You don't want to be so much like the world that people don't know you're a Christian. Some people say, I don't want to get legalistic. What? There's no chance of most of you getting legalistic. You're so rebellious. You've got a long ways to go before getting legalistic. Just a few disciplines in your life would be good. See, some people can't hear our witnessing because of our lifestyle. Our words are not heard because of our lifestyle. People should be able to identify that we are Christians because of our lifestyle. 
Is that true for you? See, when I stand up here and say, guys, every one of you should have a job. Now, if you're a stay-at-home mom, I want to tell you something. That's a job. That's a massive, amazing, awesome job. But every one of us should have a job. And if any one of you can't get a job because of the season that we're in, you should be volunteering your time and working. Because the Bible says, if you don't work, you don't deserve to eat. So if we just sit back and let the government give us money, by lifestyle, we're no different than many, many other people that I know. And people struggle to think, I just don't see Jesus doing that. I just don't see Jesus in front of a TV on the couch with his hands down his pants, touching channel after channel after channel. You do that, you identify with Homer Simpson. Al Bundy, for those who like 80s. But it ain't Christianity. And I'm not against a lazy afternoon every now and then. I'm talking about a lifestyle. Jesus worked. Jesus didn't sleep around. If you're not married, touching a person of the opposite sex in their private parts is a no-go zone. I don't care how young you are, how old you are. Jesus modelled this. When Jesus uh, was confronted with that mob of men who'd caught the woman in the act of adultery and he rescued her, remember that? He says, anyone who wants to throw a stone at her, let it be the person who doesn't have any sin in their life. And oldest to youngest, they went away one at a time. I want to tell you, when this woman has just had her life saved by a man's man, I imagine she's putty in his hands. I imagine Jesus could do whatever he wanted with her. And yet he chooses to dignify her by not taking advantage of her. You can't just live like the world and expect the world to identify the fact that we are like Christ. See, none of these things will get you saved. Not sleeping around, not drinking, not doing that. Those things don't get you saved. Only Jesus can save you from eternal separation from God. But there should be some works in our life that reflect that we are a part of Christ. We should be able to say, man, I used to be so angry, but since Jesus has been in my life, I have this peace. All praise be to God. It shouldn't be like, man, since I've been a Christian, nothing has changed. The banner identifies us. It identifies who we are with. In John chapter 13, verse 35, it says, by, all, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. How? If you just love one another. But what does that look like? See, some of us think we're free, we don't have to go to church, and you don't, you're right. But when you love one another, it's not about you. There are people that I've seen here today that I'm very mindful of what they're going through. And the fact that they are here has put courage in me and strength in me today. They don't know they've done that. It's just encouraged me. Just their being here. It says something about their love of the church. It says something about their love of God. And that speaks to me. By this you will know. But people who just forever want to justify not going to church, not giving, not doing this, not doing that. 
How do you know if you're a Christian? Where's the evidence? I am not advocating works for salvation, but I am advocating works of salvation. No amount of work can ever get you saved. The only way you can get saved is by giving your life to Jesus. There's not one good work. That's what I shared last week. There's not one good thing that you can do. You can help a thousand old ladies across the road. It will not get you into heaven. You can, you can dig up every bomb in Bosnia and it will not get you to heaven. You can feed hundreds and thousands of poor, but it will not get you into heaven. Only Jesus. Is lady die in heaven only if she surrendered her life to Jesus? That's it. All of her humanitarian work in vain if she did not surrender her life to Jesus. But having surrendered our life to Jesus, I think it's fair to expect there should be some things that identify our lives with Christ. As Jesus was kind, we should become kinder. I just don't know how Jesus, what Jesus thought about cats. That's the only thing I'm not too sure about. Just not too sure about that one. I love you, Belinda. You're awesome. And any other cat lover out there? It's just cats I have problems with. <laughs> Number three, the banner empowers. There's many stories of Olympians and even soldiers that felt like giving up, only to look up and see the flag of their nation that they were representing to be empowered. Maybe some of you are feeling weak and feel like giving up. I want to encourage you to do what the Bible says, and that's to look up and get encouraged by the one who's gone before us, the Lord, our banner, Jehovah Nisi. The Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus. One, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. See, I want, I want you to catch this phrase that we don't fight for a position of victory. We fight from a position of victory. See, the battle has already been won. The victory is already ours, but we have to enforce that victory. I love the thought of victory. I think it's a great name for a church. I really do. In actual fact, when we planned this church, there was such a low, in my world, there was such a low level of belief and understanding of who God is, and there was such a low level of victory. I thought, man, we've got, to, we've got to create a church that actually lives in and believes the truth of God's word. We win in Christ, we win. It's the end of story. The early church lived like that. What do you do with a man who's not afraid of dying? There's not much you can do with him. This early church said, for me to live is to, uh, for me to die is Christ and to live is, no, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's this understanding that if I live fantastic, fruitful years for God, and if I die, I go to be with God. It's a win-win. But some of us are so afraid of everything. We don't live with a sense of victory. And that's what we want. We want this sense of victory. This sense that we're on the winning side. No one likes being on the side of Stuart. No one likes being on the side that's green. No one likes to be on the side of a losing team. We, want to, we have a sense of winning. We want to have a sense of overcoming. We want a sense of victory. And that's provided to us in Christ. In Christ, we win. And if you really believe that, you won't be as miserable. You won't look like you've been baptised in lemon juice. You won't have the back end, your face like the back end of a cat. You'll actually be happier because we win. 
And even if all is stripped from me, we still win. That was Paul's mentality. I know what it is to be well fed. I know what it is to go hungry. But in both scenarios, I win because I'm in Christ. Nothing can separate me from the love that is in Christ Jesus. Neither height nor depth, neither principalities or powers, demons or angels, present, past or future. Nothing in all of God's creation can separate me from the love of Christ. Do you believe that? This is the truth that we have in Christ. All the promises are yes and amen in Christ. That's why every one of you should be yesing and amening every time someone stands up here and preaches because it's true. It's yes. And we add the amen by faith in Christ. Oh, there's so many scriptures I could read. I just don't have time. But I will read one, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you've been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and in the incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. Not only now, but into the future. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed them him to be head over everything for us, the church, which is the body of Christ, to fulfill, uh, the fulfillment who fills everything in every way. I mean, it's just awesome. I'll go on record and say my favourite book in the Bible is Ephesians. I can read it over and over and over again. It talks about my position, not just my condition. So many of you are so aware of your condition. And I talk about how you're doing and you tell me about your condition. I want you to start talking about your position. I'm not feeling well. That's your condition. It doesn't change your position. You might be feeling tired. You might feel like giving up. You might feel like giving in. But you know what? Your position doesn't change. You are seated with Christ in heavenly realms, far above all rule, all principalities, all powers. That doesn't change because you are in Christ. So you've got a runny nose, but you are still seated at the, you know, on the throne with God. Heavenly realms. Bad things happen to good people. It's true, but it doesn't change your position. Maybe someone didn't turn up today that you desperately wanted to be here, but you're here. Seated with Christ in heavenly realms, far above all principalities, rule and powers. Do you believe that? This is the good news, it's the gospel. My last point, and I'm really running out of time, I could just talk about that forever and ever and ever. This is one of my favourite subjects. But the last one is this, it's the banner that's the target. The banner is the target. Those of you who love military battles and have done a little bit of war history will know that the aim was to get the banner of the enemy. The banner is the target. Who's our banner? Jesus. See, the strategy of the enemy is to capture the banner. Once the banner's caught, it's representative of a victory that's been won. I want you to catch this today. Jesus is our banner. In other words, the devil is not mad at you. The devil is not even after you. It's not even personal. The devil is hell-bent 
on destroying the reputation of Jesus. That's why he has a go at the church. Because to touch the church is to touch Jesus. I want you to see that. The next time you think you're free not to come to church, you're free not to give, you're free not to do this, you're free not to do that. And while there's an element of truth in that, I want you to see it from this point of view. Every time we concede, every time we bow the knee to that way of thinking, I believe we pierce something at the heart of Jesus. And the devil gains a little victory. Because to discourage us, to see us fall, is to distort the church. And to distort the church is to to distort the perception that people have of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. It doesn't change anything positionally, but in people's minds it does. And so next time you feel like all hell is against you, understand where it's coming from. The devil wants you to give up and to give in. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, it says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. How's this for a thought? In the last 2,000 years, the population on earth has grown exponentially, yeah? But the number of principalities and powers, demons, has not grown. And yet there's more people to contend with. What does the devil put in place? Schemes. It's not like the devil is frantically running around. He just puts schemes in place. Things like internet access and pornographic addictions, schemes. If you can get you hooked onto that, he's, he's taking care of it. He, doesn't have to, he just sits back. Schemes. Do not be unaware of his schemes. That's why we've been talking about avoiding the silly season because one of his schemes is to get you under financial pressure because when you're under financial pressure, your marriage will cave in. Absolutely, that's a scheme of his. And we're trying to combat the devil's schemes. You can see it that the church just want your money or you can see that we're standing against the devil's schemes. It's these schemes that we are battling. And one of his greatest schemes is to get the church discouraged to give up on God. Not go to church, not give anymore, not help anymore, not preach anymore, not look up anymore. When Moses' hands were down, they were losing. When his hands were up, they were winning. It's the same for us. It's the same for the church. When we're down, we're losing. When we start looking up, no matter how down we may be, we just keep looking up. You're better off in a 10 meter pit looking up than you are on the surface looking down. You've got to keep looking up. We need our musicians to come. By way of concluding, I just want to simply say this. Lift your eyes to Jesus, your victory. Jesus is your victory. Lift your head up to Him. Lift your hands up to Him. One thing I absolutely love about the church, in spite of all her imperfections, and there are many, particularly in this church, 
I mean, just look at the person next to you. I mean, talk about it. If you're wondering why we're not doing certain things yet, it's probably because of... (laughs) But what an incredible bunch of people to come and to stand with you in your weariness, in your tiredness, in your hurt, in your weariness and confused state. See, I haven't been able to stand up here today and share what I've been able to share because I've always been up. Because I'm always on my game. I think I can identify with any one of you in your weakness right now. I felt like giving up many times. I felt like giving in many times. There are some Sundays I'm rostered to preach. I think stuff them. I've had a gutful. I don't even want to preach. I, forget it. Lord. I, I don't even want to go to church. <gasps> really? Yeah. And in those weakened moments, I've had God and I've had a church interceding and praying, upholding my hands. And I'm going to shake off those stupid negative thoughts. Because I've learned this. Not every negative thought I have is mine. Here's me thinking I want to give up. That doesn't necessarily mean it's what I'm really thinking. It's just a demonic thought that comes in. Stuff them. I've thought that. And I don't really feel like that. Where did that come from? It's just a Malachite spirit that just wants to bring you down. Can I say this categorically? The church at its worst is still better than the world at its best. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.